Hello everybody, this is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am going to take up Luke chapter 3, going from verse 23 to the end of the chapter at verse 38. This is the genealogy of Jesus. It's the genealogy that is tracked through Mary's line. The genealogy in Matthew goes through Joseph's line. Now, I've already done some stuff on Matthew, so I'm just going to splice that into this audio. There is a distinction between Matthew's genealogy and Luke's genealogy, as I said. I'm not going to go through each individual name, of course. That would be entirely too tedious. But just to give you a general idea of the genealogies, we'll listen to this audio of Matthew chapter 1, first 17 verses as I go through the discussion of the genealogy in Matthew. Now let's start with Matthew 1, verse 1. We're going to talk about genealogies. You say, oh, genealogies are boring. Well, actually, there's a lot of interesting stuff in this genealogy, and I'm going to point it out to you as we go through. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, verse 1 says. Now this genealogy differs from Luke's genealogy and certain differences. The main thing is Luke was tracing the, his genealogy from Adam to Mary. This is going from is going from Abraham to Joseph, not Mary. So there are going to be differences in the two genealogies. That doesn't mean there are contradictions in the Bible. Now he, he mentions that the Messiah is the son of David. But why does he mention the son of David? Of, of all the people he could have picked amongst Jesus's ancestors is because the son of David is a messianic title. It's used several times. One, two, three, four times I've got here in uh, Matthew where, he, where Matthew mentions the son of David referring to the Messiah. John Gill says this, the, fam the commentator John Gill, nothing is more common in the Jewish writings than for son of David to stand alone for the Messiah. It would be endless to cite or refer to all the testimonies of this kind. So this, you could put this one in the bank, son of David is a messianic title. Now note that David is mentioned out of chronological order in this genealogy the record of the genealogy of jesus the messiah and the first ancestor that's mentioned is david even before abraham abraham david was a thousand years after abraham and yet he's mentioned before abraham why might that be well because well there's several options one is is because matthew wanted to emphasize the messianic title of david and that makes sense to me it could be that david was prophet and king and therefore he was greater than abraham who was only priest and prophet or it could be because we're, Matthew's emphasizing Messiah, and the Messianic line eventually was restricted to the family of David, so he mentions David first. And I think that probably all those reasons are perfectly legitimate. Now, with Abraham, with David and Abraham both listed here in verse 1 as a part of that genealogy, Jesus had prophet, priest, and king in his genealogy. And that is extremely important because Jesus is constantly seen as prophet, priest, and king. Let me give you a good quote from Adam Clark. No person ever born could boast in a direct line a more illustrious ancestry than Jesus Christ. Among his progenitors, the regal, sacerdotal, and prophetic offices existed in all their glory and splendor. David, the most renowned of sovereigns, was king and prophet. Abraham, the most perfect character in all antiquity, whether sacred or profane, was priest and prophet. But the three offices were never united except in the person of Christ. So there we have Jesus whose ancestors are prophet, priest, and king, and who now fulfill the offices of prophet, priest, and king. Jesus, again, is, as I said, is the son of Abraham, mentioned in verse 1. Why was this important to identify Jesus? Because Matthew was writing to Jews, and who was the father of the Jews? Abraham. In fact, God had promised Abraham that he would have many seed or many descendants. They would come from him. 
here and that's Genesis 15, Genesis 17. I've got a, uh, one of the quotes from Genesis 22. In your seed and your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So the Jews are going to have a lot of descendants. And of course, the seed, the one seed that's important is Jesus, who gets a lot of people saved. And now Jesus is the father of a bunch of Gentile believers in Abraham who have the faith of Abraham. And so thus Abraham is extremely important. He's mentioned in the in the in the genealogies. Hebrews two sixteen says, For assuredly he does not give help to angels, referring to God. This is in the book where uh, the author is trying to show that Jesus is superior to angels. So he says, For surely he, God, does not give help to angels, but he, God, gives help to the descendant of Abraham, to the son of Abraham. He's talking, we're talking about Jesus. All right, so now Jesus is also called the Messiah in verse 1. The King James has the Christ. Messiah is the Hebrew word. Christ is the Greek word for anointed. Now, I mentioned prophet, priest, and king. All three of those offices, and we're going to show you later when we get into this, all three received anointing at the beginning of their, at the beginning time when they held that office. All right, let's go now to verse 1, excuse me, verse 2, 3, and 4. Verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amenadab, Amenadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon. All right, and we're not going to go through every one of the gentlemen in these genealogies. We're going to mention some important ones. For example, Isaac. Now, you notice Isaac was mentioned, Ishmael was not. You'll notice also in the, in the genealogy, where does it say here, Jacob is mentioned, but Esau is not. And the genealogy starts out with the, the, the first four entries, which, which everybody ought to learn if you're going to learn the Bible. That's Abraham, number one, Isaac, number two, Jacob, number three, and the sons of Jacob were the 12 tribes of Israel. All right, now, my point about Jacob, Esau not being mentioned, and Ishmael not being mentioned, is that they were sons of the flesh, or people who were not in the line of the promise, let me put it that way. The promise had to go a certain way. And so they're not mentioned because that's not important. In the Old Testament, what's important is that line of descent from Abraham to the seed, Abraham to Jesus. All right, Isaac was promised in Genesis 21. God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac, your descendants will shall be named. The lad and your maid refers to Hagar and Ishmael and the of course, by pressure from Sarah, Abraham sent him out into the wilderness. But God said, don't worry, whatever Sarah says, listen to that, because it's through Isaac your descendants shall be named. And sure enough, Matthew is through Isaac naming the descendants of Abraham or all the way down to the seed of Jesus. Now, notice that in verse 2, Judah is mentioned. Now, why was Judah particularly singled out in this genealogy? Because it had been particularly prophesied that the Messiah would spring from Judah. Genesis 49.10, this is when Jacob is giving his famous blessings to his 12 children. Jacob says this, The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Scepter means the right to rule, the iron rod that showed that you are the king. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. The kingship shall be in Judah. Nor shall the ruler staff from between his feet. Until Shiloh comes, that's the Messiah, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. So that's referring to the birth of Jesus, who was of 
actually, as prophesied from the tribe of Judah, and he was king. All right, First Chronicles 5, 2 says the same thing. Though Judah prevailed over his brothers, and from him came the leader, yet the birthright belongs to Joseph. So from him, Judah, came the leader, the leader being the Messiah. He, all right, so that's enough of that. Uh, it's obvious that the king would come through Judah, and Judah is mentioned in the genealogies. Now, the brothers are mentioned here. Let me go to verse two, back to verse 2 again. It says, Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah is particularly mentioned. The brothers are not. Why are they not mentioned? Or why are they? Well, they're not mentioned in particular because Judah was, the, was where the Messiah would come from. That's why they were not mentioned. Why were they even mentioned at all? Well, because they were of prominence because they were the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. And, of course, the 12 tribes of Israel is a huge thing all the way through the Scriptures. Now, the first... Members of these genealogies were pretty pretty important people and pretty good people, Abraham, David, and so forth. But now let's get we're getting down to Judah. We're going to find out that Jesus' genealogy had a lot of undesirable characters in it, which has significance. We'll start with Judah. He was one of the twelve sons of Jacob, one of the patriarchs, one of the fathers of the twelve tribes. He had sex with Tamar, his daughter-in-law. Tamar was wanting a kid. She, she, she dressed herself up as a prostitute by the side of the road, seduced her own father-in-law, had sex with him, got pregnant. You know the story. It's all in Genesis chapter 38. That's not so good. Jesus' genealogy wasn't all illustrious. This reminds me, I'm from the South, and how oh, many times do we hear this? Oh, you, he's from good stock. He's from good stock. How many times have I heard that growing up? Well, let me tell you something. I, I can criticize my culture. If you're a Yankee, don't say anything. But I'm a Southerner, so I can criticize my own culture. And I don't like that because I'm telling you, a lot of good people come from lousy stock. Jesus came from lousy stock. So let's move on to some of the women that are introduced in this genealogy. Verse 3, Tamar is mentioned. I just mentioned that uh, she was the one that uh, had sex with Judah. So she was, but now it wasn't all Judah's fault. I mean, she she disguised herself as a prostitute and seduced him, so she was sexually immoral. And in the next couple of verses, we're going to see a couple of other women who were not so pure. Rahab was a prostitute. She's an innkeeper at least, probably a prostitute. And then, of course, we have Bathsheba who committed adultery with David of Israel. So Jesus' genealogy, Jesus' stock had prostitutes and adulteresses. Uh, he had those kind of people, prostitutes and adulteresses in his genealogy. All right, let's move on to verses 5 through 6. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Okay, now there's many generations that are omitted between Rahab and David. These are, these are not all of them mentioned in these verses, and we need to remember that. A lot of times people think that when it says father of and son of, it's direct uh, ancestors and descendants. That's not true. Father means ancestor and son means descendant. Uh, Matthew has a scheme here of 14s, which we'll talk about when we get to verse 17. And in order to make that scheme work, sometimes he has to leave out some names in order to end up with 14 people in the genealogy. Now, We've already mentioned we got women of ill repute in Jesus' genealogy. 
uh, and a man of less than reputable character, Judah, in Jesus' genealogy. Now we're going to show that there's Gentile dogs in the genealogy, which, of course, Jews are not appreciative of. Ruth, the Moabitess, is in there. We've already mentioned Rahab. She's in there, too. She was a Gentile. So, again, God is not concerned with stock, who you're born of. He's concerned of faith. Do you believe in him? All right, so Matthew, this is one of the differences from Luke's genealogy. As a matter of fact, Matthew uh, differs from Luke because he includes outsiders, uh, the three fallen women and, and, and three fallen women and two Gentile women. This is appropriate probably because Matthew was an outsider. Remember, he was a tax collector. There could be nothing more outside than that. All right, verse 6 here says, Jesse was the father of David the king. Again, that kingship is mentioned, is emphasized. David the king, King David, because he was the fulfillment, he, he had the throne, and the throne of David is a key theological concept all throughout the Old Testament, and the New, too. Remember, Jesus inherits the throne of David in Acts, the first couple of chapters of Acts. All right, going on with the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, verses 7 through 11. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, Ammon the father of Josiah. Josiah became the father of Jeconiah. Jeconiah, I should say, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Now, you might recognize some of the kings of Judah in here. Now, there was a th uh, three kings left out, Ahaziah, Joash, and Amaziah. And some people like to say, see there, Matthew is not accurate. Well, leaving out generations was no big deal to the Jews. I've just pointed that out to you, that Matthew did it. Uh, he's not trying to be clever about it or making a mistake. No Jesus-rejecting Jew ever called out Matthew on that. Uh, because that's they understood. That's the way genealogies were done. Uh, here's a good quote from Adam Clark. As they were silent, talking about the Jews who were hostile to Christianity, as they were silent, modern and comparatively modern unbelievers may forever hold their peace. The objections raised on this head are worthy of no regard. Here, here. People love to point out errors. By the way, there are several places in here where there are some problems that need to be worked out as far as the accuracy of the genealogies they can be worked out unless you're a god-denying liberal protestant or liberal catholic maybe if you are an agnostic and atheist you're probably not going to be listening to this anyway but i'm going to mention one here josiah became the father of jeconiah and his brothers actually josiah was the father of jeconiah and his uncles this is the last kings of Judah, and they're hard to remember, Josiah died, and he had a son named Jehoahaz who lasted for a little while till the Neko of Egypt kicked him out and put Jehoiakim, his son, on the throne. Excuse me, Jehoiakim, Jehoahaz's brother, on the throne. And then Jehoiakim had a son, Jehoiachin, who inherited the throne. He got carried off into captivity to Babylon. And then uh, Nebuchadnezzar put Zedekiah, another son of Josiah, another one of the brothers there, on the throne, and so Jehoiachin had a couple uncles, Jehoahaz and Zedekiah. So they were his uncles, not his brothers. Now, how do you reconcile that? Well, let's see. Gill says that that it's a manuscript problem, that it should have said uncles instead of brothers. Or it could just be a translation problem. Brothers actually means uncles. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown say here that the brethren of Jeconiah, 
Jeconiah here evidently mean his uncles. I remember in, in China, there's a one word for cousin and there's one word for brother. And the Chinese, when they speak English, they were constantly calling, talking about their five brothers. And I think, well, I thought there was a one-child policy in China. And it turns out they were they were confusing the word. And I suspect that's what happens here. It's, it's a minor importance, but I just point that out to you. If you're the type that likes to find errors in things, the Bible doesn't have any errors. There might be manuscript errors, but there's not any errors in the original manuscripts. Now, notice in verse 11, Matthew mentions the time of the deportation to Babylon. That was when Israel was carried into captivity. Matthew doesn't use the word captivity. That would have been a very painful word for a Jew at that time. The captivity was a horrible time for them, so he euphemizes the word a little bit, and he calls it the deportation to Babylon. I'm surprised he didn't call it the exodus. But anyway, or the departure to Babylon. Let's go to verse 12 through 16. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shealtiel. And Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel was the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim. And Achim, the father of Eliud. Eliud was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Matan, and Matan, the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph. The husband of Mary. Ah, now we've got to somebody you might recognize. Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who was called the Messiah. Now, you notice the genealogy goes through Joseph. That's how it goes through. It, it, it doesn't go through Mary. It goes through Joseph, which uh, which is obvious here because Joseph is mentioned. Now, notice it mentions that Joseph is the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born. Jesus was born. Matthew doesn't say the father of Joseph, the father of Jesus. Because Joseph wasn't the father of Jesus. He was his stepfather. Uh, Matthew clearly shows that that Jesus was virgin born of Mary. Well, later he's going to show that she was virgin born. But right here, he, he very clearly shows that Joseph was not the father of Jesus. If he had been the father of Jesus, original sin would have passed through him down to Jesus. And our Messiah would be sinful and we wouldn't be saved from our sins. All right, Jesus was born. Who is called the Messiah? Now, Messiah is, as I said earlier, the Hebrew for that is the Hebrew word for anointed, and the Greek word is Christ, which means anointed. Now, there were three offices that were anointed in the Old Testament. Prophets, 1 Kings 19.16, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, and Abel Maholai, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. There's a king and a prophet being anointed. Now, how about a priest? Leviticus 4.5, then the anointed priest to take some of the blood of the bull. Leviticus 4.16, then the anointed priest is to bring some of the blood of the bull to the tent of meeting. And on and on and on and on about anointed priest. That's obviously if you're familiar with the book of Leviticus. And as a king, I've already mentioned that verse. 1 Kings 19.16 mentions anointing of a king. Here's another one. 1 Samuel 24, 6, so he said to his men, far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed. This is when David is trying to decide whether to strike Saul or not. David calls the king the Lord's anointed. Why? Because Saul was anointed as king. So when you hear anointed one, that word, you hear Christ, you don't, a Messiah, you know, that word doesn't have a lot of depth to the English ear. But if you start thinking about anointed and how many, and that the prophet, the office of prophet, priest, and king were all anointed and Jesus fulfills all three of those prophets, that means Jesus is our prophet. Jesus is our priest. Jesus is our king. That means the word carries a lot more meaning than otherwise, than, than uh, English speakers tend to give it. 
All right, so let's go to verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Now there's Matthew's organizational structure of the book. Now why did he choose the number 14? And this is where people disagree. One option is that 14 is 2 times 7, a double 7, and 7 is the number of completeness all throughout the Old Testament. The number 7 is the divine number, the number of divine fullness and completeness and maturity and perfection, and he's doubling it to get 14. The NIV Study Bible chooses that for their option. The NIV Study Bible also says that 14 is the numerical value of the name David. Maybe that's why he did it, because David is the high point, the king uh, in this genealogy, that whose office Jesus was to inherit. Well, maybe that's so. Or it's just uh, aid to memory, because you, uh, Matthew arranged it so there were 14 generations from Abraham to David, and that David was, of course, a, a key event in the genealogy the, when David took the throne. And then David to the deportation to Babylon, that was going 586 B.C. when the Jews were carried to Babylon. That was a big deal. And then from Babylon to the arrival of the Messiah Jesus, another big deal. So big deals in history divided by 14 generations each. People could remember that. And so it was a mnemonic device, according to this theory. So nobody really knows why the 14's there. There's some good speculations. And you notice, to make the 14 scheme work, Matthew had to leave some names out here and there. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I have finished with that plug-in there of the audio concerning the genealogy in Matthew 1, verse 17, verses. Now let's make a few comments about the genealogy in Luke, and we'll be finished with this audio. But before we start with the genealogy proper in Luke, we, there's a little comment at the beginning of the genealogy, and it says this. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age. Now that's an interesting comment. That gives us the 18 years from the time that he was 12 years old arguing with the rabbis in the temple. Now he's 30, about to begin his work. The Jews didn't believe a priest could take up his office till he was 30. That's according to Numbers 4, verses 2 through 3. If Jesus had started earlier, people might have discounted his teaching, so he waited till he was 30. I suspect he was plenty mature enough to start before he was 30, but that might have been just for public reasons. He, for, to, to make his teachings more acceptable to the Jewish public, he might have waited till he was 30. But the real preconditions for Jesus embarking on his ministry had already occurred. God had pronounced favor on him at his baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit when he was baptized in water at the River Jordan. So now Luke goes to the genealogy. A few comments here. The Jews kept extensive public genealogical records. The famous Rabbi Hillel could trace his ancestry all the way back to David. So it was easy for Luke to get the info for uh, the Jesus's family members, the genealogies of Jesus's family members. Now these genealogies show that Jesus was truly man, a real person, which is important so that people don't think that Jesus is some kind of a demigod or a ghost or something. There's a story I read once, there was a Bible translator who saved the genealogies for last, of course, and so the tribes people who were helping, help, helping him do the translation were not aware of the genealogies until the very last. And when the tribesmen saw the genealogist, he said in wonder to the translator, do you mean Jesus was a real person with real ancestors? We had no idea. So the whole time he was helping with the translation, he thought Jesus was some kind of a, he was not fully human, let's put it that way. 
Now, in the first part of the genealogy, it says he, Jesus, was the son, as was thought. A nice little parenthetical thought there. He was the son, as was thought, of Joseph, son of Heli. Of course, he wasn't the actual son of Joseph, the biological son of Joseph. And so Luke adds that detail because Luke believed in the virgin birth, unlike certain heretics in the Christian church. Luke believed in the virgin birth, and so he put that in there to show that Joseph was not the real father. Now... If you're trying to do a genealogy when the father is not the real father, you got a problem. The ancient custom was almost always to trace the father's line, not the mother's line. But in this case, the father is not the real father. So what does Luke do? He traces the descent through Mary's line. He gives Jesus' actual biological lineage. Matthew, by contrast, traces the descent through Joseph's line, which is Jesus' legal lineage by adoption. I guess we can say that Joseph was Jesus' legally adopted father. I used to call him stepfather. That's not really quite right. Legally adopted father. Now, Matthew's genealogy differs from Luke's genealogy from David onward. So Matthew and Luke are exactly the same as they proceed on down to David. Now, the fact that they differ from Luke from David over, the, the genealogies differ from David onward, of course, has led some Bible haters liberals to say, oh, there's a contradiction in the Bible. Of course, there's not a contradiction in the Bible. Now, it is interesting that Joseph and Mary have common ancestors from David on. This is appropriate since Jesus now sits on the throne of David. The son of David, of course, is the common title for the Messiah. And both Joseph and Mary came from David. Now, notice that I just said that Luke is tracing Jesus' genealogy all the way from Adam all the way up to to Mary, but yet he doesn't end with Mary. He ends with Joseph. Why does he not, why does he say Joseph instead of Mary? Well, the reason was to conform with the ancient custom of not putting women in genealogies. And it was also a Jewish rule that the family of the mother is not called a family in a genealogy. And so Luke didn't put Mary in there, but he, tra he tracked the genealogy all the way through Mary's line. Now, why does Luke trace the genealogy all the way past Abraham, all the way to Adam. Remember, Matthew only went to Abraham because Luke wants to show that Jesus belongs to all humanity. Matthew was writing to Jews, and they were concerned, the Jews were mainly concerned about Father Abraham. But Luke is concerned with Gentiles, and Gentiles, of course, started <laughs> because of Adam, and Luke is a Gentile, so he's sensitive to all that. So, ladies and gentlemen, thus ends our audio discussion of the genealogies of Luke will start with Luke chapter 4 in the next audio. I hope you enjoyed this one.